some announcements. Uh, when you came in, there was no coffee this morning, but there were programs. Uh, in the, inside the program, we have a couple bits of information that we would like you to, to have. The first one is a connection card. Uh, we would love to get your, your contact info so that when we send out announcements or events via email, we have that, and you can be in the loop on that. There's also a piece of paper in there uh, that's got neighborhood collectives uh, titled uh, and information. A neighborhood collective, they meet seasonally. Um, they meet with food and drinks. We have prayer, and we have guided discussion content that the groups participate in, and it's um, just a movement into a little bit less, it's, it's less public gathering like this and a more communal uh, friendship-oriented gathering that we want people to be a part of. And it's a great way for, for you to increase your uh, relational connections within Restore, get to know others, and, and obviously to, to, we, we really feel like discipleship happens and growth happens more out of dialogue and less out of someone like me telling you what to do. And so we feel like neighborhood collectives and discipleship puddles are really where the spirit moves the most in our lives. We'd love for you to be a part of those. Uh, additionally, we have an app. If you want to check check us out via the app, you can download the Restore Church app. Search We Are Restore or We Are Restore eChurch. You can listen to sermons on there. You can fill out a connection card on there electronically. You can give through the app, which we would love for you to do. If you believe in what God's doing in our church, we'd love for you to financially support it. Uh, we are continually tight financially. Um, if church is not your thing or giving to church is not your thing, find someone or something to give to. That's something we talk about a lot. And then finally, we are doing our next round of English workshops for our friends at City of Refuge. We have a, a group of around 30 or 40 Central and South American refugees that meet regularly in our space just down the stairs. We call it the living room. And we do seasonal English lessons for them. So we just started a seven-week series where we're going to meet every Wednesday night from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. just down the stairs at the living room. And we're teaching English. And if you can speak English, you can teach it. And we have a guided curriculum that we're using. And it's a, it's a wonderful, practical way to help them um, kind of get established in a brand-new culture. And we just had our first round this last Wednesday. I'm talking extreme beginner. All right, they, they, they know most of them can't even count to 10 in English. All right, So we are providing a very practical resource for them. And also, frankly, we are people who speak English who are welcoming, welcoming them, geez, I can't talk, welcoming them warmly into our city, into our country, and they need more of that. They need people who are going to receive them with love and inclusiveness, and it's just an opportunity for both love and practical help. And so we'll hope you'll at least come to one of those on a Wednesday night. And those go through the end of November up until Thanksgiving. So we are finishing a series today called Why Church? Uh, and before diving into that, have you ever been in a situation that was risky, but you felt completely safe because you had a guide or you had an expert or someone who knew what they were doing and you could kind of hide behind them, so to speak, or kind of follow their lead? I mean, I think we've probably all experienced that at some point in our life. Like, I remember 15 years ago or so, a good friend of mine in, uh, when we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, he was a police officer, and he worked in, in one of the rougher parts of Phoenix, and he, he, he did the night shift, and he asked me if I wanted to come along for a ride-along one night, and I was like, of course I do. And Carrie was like, I don't think I want you to do that. In fact, I made up this whole thing about how I was supposed to wear, like, a helmet and, like, camouflage pants, and she bought it, and, like, carry a knife, <clears throat> 
Um, but I remember we, I was really excited about it. Went on, and we, I went on multiple ride-alongs with them, and we got into some, I got into some situations that were, I, in my opinion, to him, he was just like totally calm, but in my opinion, were unsafe and risky. And if he had not been there, I would have been terrified. Like, what would happen if Casey wasn't standing next to me or I wasn't following him into this building where someone had just broken into him? And I kept thinking, like, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to get out of the car? Shouldn't I stay in the car? But he was my guide and made me feel completely safe. And a few years ago, on one of our trips to Greece, I think it was our first trip, we were serving Syrian refugees. I had never encountered... um, Syrian or Afghan refugees outside of the U.S. And so this is a brand new experience for me. I'd never uh, in- encountered them in a camp or in a port where they were squatting. And um, Alini uh, was a woman in Athens who had made connections with the many refugees flooding into Greece. And she had connections enough to get us through some of the, bar- the government barriers to get to the port where a lot of them had camped out. And when we walked in, we were kind of swarmed by refugees. Um, hundreds kind of came from every direction. And if anybody in here, anybody else is socially anxious in regards to crowds, you can relate to me. Uh, I was like, wow, there's a lot of people coming at us really quickly um, in a potentially uncomfortable social situation. But I had Alini, who was one of these people that just kind of knew everybody. I'm like, how do you know all these people? And they were greeting her warmly and lovingly. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in because I'm with her. And she was this light and this guide that made me feel safe. Um, and when we talk about why church, that's, that's one of the reasons we're going to talk about today is feeling safe in the midst of risky or uncomfortable or stretching situations. Um, we've talked about the series. We've, we've taught on this series four weeks. We have not hit every single reason for why uh, why church, but we have hit some really important ones, and one of those reasons that I mentioned the first week is that the church is a communal reaction and a long history of communal reactions to the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Christ. 2,000 years of people reacting to his story and to his life, death, and resurrection, and that's kind of what I want to focus on a little bit more today is one particular reaction to following Jesus, because I think it's an important answer to why church. And I want to begin with a story from scripture and a little bit of context first. So when Jesus is calling the disciples to follow him, I want to set the scene. There was a man named John the Baptist. He was a rabbi. He's a bit of a fireball. All right. He really went after Rome and the religious leadership of that time, verbally, they did not like him. Ended up getting him killed, and he got beheaded in prison. Uh, the, the king commanded that he be beheaded. So he got into trouble later on, and he, he was stirring it up. And like any rabbi, he had disciples. He had followers, students who were learning from him. Among those students were a few young fishermen. And he kept telling them, you're following me, but someone greater is coming. He kept planting these seeds of a coming Messiah, a a bigger, better rabbi. And so they were, for years, following him and expecting the next person to come along. In fact, John is, um, he was planting seeds. Scripture says he was paving the way, is a phrase that is used to describe John the Baptist in regards to preparing people for Jesus' arrival. So these young men were excitedly and anxiously awaiting for this 
person, this next rabbi, to come along. And then Jesus approaches him. And John kind of, John had, before Jesus approached him this, in this section we're going to read, John had actually pointed him out to the disciples in one instance. He said, that's, that's who I'm talking about. So they knew what he looked like. They just hadn't been approached by him yet. And that's where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and he saw Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. <clears throat> Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them, come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. A couple big things going on here. First, try to put yourself in their shoes as they have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this person and for Jesus to approach them, knowing who he was. They, they wanted him to approach and, and, and reveal himself, and it happens. He says, hey, I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. They probably felt safe. Like, okay, John's been telling us about this guy. He's pointed him out, and now he's inviting us to follow him. They were probably excited in a way that they felt safe in following him. And there are dozens of examples of this type of reaction to Jesus in Scripture, of people just completely trusting him and feeling completely vulnerable yet safe around him. The second thing that's a big deal is they actually follow him. They leave their family and their family business behind, which in ancient Jewish culture is a massive deal. That is a huge risk that would potentially, probably, I'm not a historian, but alienation would, be a, would probably be one of the consequences of these men leaving behind the family business. So Jesus not only made them feel safe, he completely took them out of their comfort zones of everything they knew, every, every habit they had formed, and they followed him. And that's just one of the places in the New Testament that shows us this, these reasons for why church. So the two reasons I want to talk about today of why church is because following Jesus makes us feel safe and because he stretches our comfort zones. Those are two reasons we participate in a church community. So let's talk about safety first, which will make you feel more comfortable probably. Everywhere you look, people are grasping for power and willing to do almost anything to keep power. I mean, take a look at what's happening right now with the potential impeachment of our president. I hope it happens. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> it's, it's an absolute circus of people scrambling to keep power. And there's this toxic mix of manipulation and antagonism mixed into all of it. And it's just a complete uh, dumpster fire right now of people clinging to power and trying to grasp a hold of it. Another less controversial example would be, um, I'm an NBA fan, so you're going you're gonna to have to deal with a couple sports analogies today, okay? So just bear with me. I try not to do that too much. But October is my favorite month of the year, sports-wise, because it's the baseball playoffs, football's in full swing, and the NBA starts. It is sports peak for me. So the NBA is getting ready to start, and the NBA is a money-making machine, rapidly expanding throughout the world. One of their biggest markets is China. They're trying, 
apparently there's a lot of people in China. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. So they're trying to tap into this Chinese market and, and, and build the NBA there to the point of where they've had preseason games there this fall, this month, they're having preseason games. So it's a big deal, like a huge effort to raise the level of, uh, of income and excitement in the country of China. One of the more well-known, if not the most respected GMs in the NBA, he's named, his name is Daryl Morey, and he works for the Houston Rockets. Last week or two weeks ago, he tweeted out two sentences in support of Hong Kong, the, ch- the, the, the city, the Chinese city that is trying to, how do I sum this up? It's a little messy between Hong Kong and China right now. And he tweeted out support of Hong Kong, which is protesting some stuff going on with China. And it pretty much brought the NBA's relationship with China to a screeching halt. All right, Dale Morey almost got fired. Uh, the league commissioner and the Rockets owner are out there trying to put the fire out and say nice things about China and just trying to defuse the whole situation. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because they want more money. They want power. They want expansion. And it's another example of people are willing to do pretty much anything, even if others are suffering, in order to maintain power and keep the money, because with money comes power. This is the way of the world. All right, this is a scrambling for money and power because that's where people think they will find safety. And the church is not immune to this either, unfortunately. This clutching of power and control for the mirage of safety that those promise. I've watched it. I've participated in it. I can't believe how many memories I have of flexing power or control because I could and how much damage it probably did. I probably will never know because... I had the power, and people who don't have the power are afraid to speak up because of the consequences. But it's stuff I've seen. It's stuff I participated in. Um, it's stuff I've repented of and continue uh, uh, to do so because of those instincts. One of my favorite books, and then made into a movie later, is called Moneyball. It's Again, I told you, this is the last sports reference, I promise. It's about baseball. The general manager of the Oakland A's, his name's Billy Bean, And 15 years ago or so, he kind of completely redefined the way baseball is measured. It really got into math and analytics and science. And this movie, Moneyball's got Brad Pitt in it. It's a great movie. There's a leadership scene in the movie that's one of my favorite scenes. And Billy is angry because the manager that, you know, he is the boss of is not playing certain players that he wants them to play. And so he starts trading away the manager's favorite players so that he will play the players that Billy wants him to play. And there's this scene where his assistant, GM, is in the office with him as he's doing this. He's trading players away. And his assistant's like, what are you doing? You're going to get fired. And Billy says, it's a problem that you think we need to explain ourselves to people. Don't. To anyone. And when I first saw that, that, I, man, that was like a, a hit of dopamine for me. I'm like, whoa, I love that. Because that's how I'd want to roll. I love to just naturally not explain myself to people and just tell people like just do what I say and shut up and follow like that's my instinct can you see how that would be a problem to lead like that can you see how that might make people feel unsafe but that's how I was taught to lead in the church of all places it's astounding I wasn't taught that by my parents I was taught that in the church and so it's something that I have seen 
and it's disturbing to see other pastors lead in that way. This, this American message is pervasive of seeking, gaining, and keeping power because people think that's where they will find safety. Now, this is not the way of Jesus. He shows us constantly that in order to gain life, we must lose our lives. That's what he says. The reason his life had so much power then and now is because he constantly gave power away. Just think about start to finish. He left his throne of power in heaven to come to earth. He refused to participate in any of the established power structures of that time period, whether it was the Roman Empire, the military, the religious leaders. He didn't participate in any of that. He started his own thing. And then it cost him his life. He, he lost all power. He was killed for something he didn't do, completely innocent. By any frame of our re- American reference of, of what success is, he was a complete failure. Every decision he made, every, every um, philosophy he communicated was just dumb. Like that's, it was either impossible, naive, or a complete failure. His decisions, teachings, and in, in life. Except all of that led to his resurrection, the ultimate form of power, conquering death. So all of that giving power away actually leads to the most powerful thing we could imagine, and that is to conquer death. And now we are invited into that. We are invited to live resurrected lives with him, which is where we find the ultimate form of safety. And the fact that the riskiest situation we could ever put ourselves in is death, is something that would lead to our death. And we know now we are following Jesus into a situation where We are living resurrected lives. We are completely safe in his care. And that is something, that that is the ultimate form of safety. And we saw it with, uh, with, with the first disciples, but we also saw him stretch those disciples, pull them out of their comfort zones. And that's the second reason that we do church is because we want to be stretched by Jesus. There's not a shred of your identity that he does not want influence over. Jesus will love you unconditionally, but that type of love always means unconditional access. And this is really scandalous in our culture because our culture is screaming for individualized power and tolerance, right? Which, by the way, is philosophically impossible. It's so naive, it makes my head hurt, all right? When people want extreme individualism, but tolerance. It's like, no, you can't have both. It doesn't work that way. It only works with Christ. The only thing that works is unconditional love leading to unconditional access. Unconditional safety leads to unconditional stretching. This is the truth of the kingdom. And this is why we do church. This is why we don't find safety in power or money or control or tolerance. These are cheap imitations of what Jesus offers to us and and what we, the church, can offer to others. So Christ has really stretched me. He has has, um, reached into wounds that I either didn't know were there or I didn't realize were wounds. I kind of wore them as badges of honor, like this is, no, these are good qualities. Um, But he, when you give him unconditional access to your mind and to your heart and to your life, he's going to reveal stuff and he's going to access stuff 
that you never expected, and it's not going to feel good. It's going to stretch us. But it's brought me into a fuller realization of what it means to live a resurrected life, of what it means to follow Jesus. And I wouldn't trade, trade the journey for anything. And so I want to close today. And again, rather than... Um, I could, I could try to like flip the switch of like discernment or power and try to guess and give you some bullet points as to how you might respond to Christ's unconditional love, how you might allow him access. But I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Like I can't see into your lives. And I know some of you pretty well, but I still can't have the kind of access he can. And so I want to give him that access this morning. And I want to close today with some contemplative time some engaged focus on the presence of Christ among us today. So I want you to sit up. I want you to get comfortable. And I want you to close your eyes. And as I ask you these questions, I want you to mentally and emotionally imagine the answers. And I'm going to pause for a few seconds after I ask the question in order for you to really mentally and emotionally since the answer. The first question is, where do you feel unsafe in your life? Hey, I still close. Jesus Christ just walked into this room. He locks eyes on you. Imagine that feeling. He sees you completely, and he smiles. He is proud of you. You are his cherished creation, and he loves you. What part of you are you trying to hide from him? Release it. Show it to him. Your eyes are still closed for this next question. Where do you need to be stretched? Where is Jesus trying to lead you? And now I want you to imagine him walking across the room slowly and he extends his hand to pull you up and lead you into this new direction. He's not pushing you. He's in front of you, leading. He's laying out a path of grace. Will you follow that? Let me close in prayer here.